0: Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, we've got St. Arnold Beer in hand. Sample size still matters. We'll talk about that a lot on this week's show. And really, David, what I want to know is whether or not you wake up and kick ass, much like Sendarek Marks.
1: I mean, I don't think I've been trying that like i think i need to try harder to kick more ass when i wake up in the morning
0: i think that's a solid life goal i think just like just like karate chop the shit out of your cat i mean that's what i'm looking for
1: that wasn't what i was like really i was like maybe i should start like running in the morning or something like oh
0: no i literally wanted you to kick Um, something in the ass
1: i mean that's probably not gonna happen oh there's only a few things in my home and i don't really want to kick any
0: of them i want winners damn it i want winners (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so that's going to be the first the the first story in the rundown. It's going to be one Mr. Sendarek Marks recently signed defensive lineman for the 49ers. That's his quote. I wake up and kick ass. That's what I do. We know what Sendarek Marks is doing. But David, what <laughs> the hell are the 49ers doing? Because of all places on the roster, the defensive line is the place that we have the most depth. You've got DJ Jones. You've got Ronald Blair coming back from injury. You've got you know some tough decisions to make on the defensive line. And we're just... Adding in if you're vetting the fire.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems weird because they, you know, worked out a couple other guys as well, right? Like uh, they worked out Tyson Jackson, I think, was another one. I forget the, the third guy. Um, but it seems a little strange to add somebody to the mix at this point if you have uh, real intentions on giving that person a roster spot right on the 53-man roster. Um that would be very surprising to me. I feel like to, to kind of come in at this stage and, and claim one of those spots. So uh, to me, I think that the only thing that I can you know glean from that is that uh, this is something that they're looking to do just to get a body in there, right? Just to get somebody that can go in there and um, you know we know that uh, uh, DeForest Buckner has had you know some some health issues. You want to make sure he's healthy from the start of the season. He has an ankle. He has an ankle. Uh, t- two ankles, maybe. Um, that's David's, I hope.
0: that's David's official like. He hates that almost as much as he hates an Ant- Vance McDonald. When,
1: just, I don't, like, what's the point? What do, what do you accomplish by just saying he has an ankle? Like, just say, like, his ankles hurt, or like... He has an ankle injury. There's only yeah. one word that you need to add. Like, why Why is that so difficult? I don't understand.
0: <laughs> yeah, but so it's probably a camp body. Nothing to see here. I don't think anyone on the roster or on the roster bubble needs to be concerned, really. It's probably just yeah. something that, you know, we need reps and maybe Chris Jones just isn't doing it at the three technique.
1: Yeah, I think the the point that I saw, I forget who it was that where, where I saw this mentioned, but, um, you know, effectively with Marks having familiarity, you know, with this defense and, and he played, you know, he was in Jacksonville with Sala for the last three seasons, essentially. Like he's somebody that uh, I think is kind of the perfect um, candidate for this type of role, right? Where you're going to come in. He doesn't have to. It's not going to take him a long time to, like, learn the scheme and all that stuff. He can come in, be a camp body, get reps, you know, see time during the preseason game. If they're they're wanting to hold some guys out uh, to to keep them healthy for the regular season Um, and then, you know, probably part ways here in a couple weeks.
0: And of course, the other big news is concerning Jimmy Ward. He is returning from the pup list to the pap list. He's coming from the physically unable to perform list to the physically able to perform list. I had
1: almost forgotten about the Pap list. You can never just forget like about every, the Pap the list. The first mention like every off season, is just like, oh, yeah. Always. Yep, there it is. Pap list
0: forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely the physically able to perform list, the Pap list. He's returning to practice. He's still limited, hoping to get him in for Sunday's game. So earlier this season, when originally Jimmy Ward got injured, I asked you, David, if you were concerned and your reaction, your retort, if you will, was only if he misses the third preseason game. He has not taken a single snap in training camp at a brand new position. And while I don't think that his starting spot is in jeopardy at all. Yeah, I do think that it's a little concerning that the year that he's moving to a new position, He did not have any snaps in training camp at all and might miss the third preseason game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal. Sure. Like, I I don't think that's how you draw it up. He got hurt on
0: the conditioning test. Like it's not a great sign. He, like, well, <laughs> I well, mean,
1: when you put it this way,
0: uh, what was it on Twitter? Was someone's like getting hurt in the preseason, and I think you might want to add getting hurt in the conditioning test yeah. is a little bit like getting your dragon killed on some bullshit mission to the north.
1: <laughs> oh Yeah, that was Danny Kelly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a it's a lot like that. Yeah, I mean, that makes makes a lot of sense. I I think, uh, yeah, at, at this stage, it's definitely concerning. You know that he hasn't really played, uh, any snaps you know throughout training camp throughout the first two preseason games i think you know this will hopefully tell us a lot like hopefully he comes uh you know into practice the rest of this week um doesn't have any setbacks you know and, and is fine there and they're able to kind of work him up and then get some time in the game right uh, I, i'm not really too concerned unless he just like looks awful or something you know I, i'm not too concerned about performance in this game i think it's really just more getting him out there getting uh some reps allowing him to you know feel comfortable again and and uh, you know, take some hits, give some hits, you know, just kind of get used to being out on the field again. Uh, I think that's really the big uh, priority for Jimmy Ward right now, because, yeah, it, it's it, as good as, you know, Lorenzo Jerome has been, you know, during the preseason, like it's kind of a joke to, I think, I- imply that he could take over as the starting free safety at this
0: point. We'll talk a little bit about Jeren- Lorenzo, Loren- <laughs> Jarenzo, Lerome. <laughs> yep. That's my Liz Dexia at work. Lorenzo Jerome. We'll talk a little bit about him later on in the podcast when we get to Arrow Up and Arrow Down. But first, let's get to the game recap against the Denver Broncos. And let's start with addressing the run game because the run game was just generally not good. Uh, and it was not good uh, basically by everyone that was involved with the the running offense. Now, Kyle Shanahan in his press conference today said that it does it does take you know effectively eleven guys to make a run play pop off. And, and while I don't necessarily know that like your outside wide receiver is going to have you know a huge amount of influence, there's a lot of things that have to go right in order for the run game to really hum to the way that we would expect it to see under Kyle Shanahan. You, you, the Niners only averaged one point nine yards per carry on Saturday. And Carlos Hyde was able to eke out about 3.3 yards per run on his eight attempts, but he didn't have a solid game despite the fact that he is the unquestioned starter. And Shanahan actually made references in his presser today. He said that there were a couple plays where the offensive line blocked more yards than Carlos Hyde got. In one instance, he said, you know, that they, they blocked for four and he only got one. Uh, and then, you know, he, he had some other ones where they blocked for fewer. So what was it that you saw from the offensive line and from Carlos Hyde that just wasn't in sync and wasn't clicking against Denver.
1: Yeah, I think from Hyde's perspective, there were definitely a few plays where, you know, you didn't see him really read the play cleanly, right? There were there were some plays where it looked like he, you know, probably should have had a cutback read and and he tried to still bounce it outside. Um, there were a couple of plays where maybe you'd like to see him uh, press outside. And when you say press, it it's really means so when he's looking, you know, on those outside zone plays, right? So it, as he gets the handoff, he's kind of looking at Uh, the second down lineman that's on the line of scrimmage, right? Whoever that player is, is kind of his first read. And so even though he may see that that guy gains outside leverage right away, right? As soon as he gets the ball, he sees that that guy's in the position. He knows that he's going to kind of cut it up inside. That doesn't mean that he should cut it up inside immediately, right? To to press, it means he wants to still push the ball outside, kind of stretch things out, let the blocks develop a little bit, and then... Once he once all that stuff has a chance to happen and and he sees the crease develop, then you make your cut up field. And there were some plays where he didn't really do that. Right. Where uh, I think like Shanahan mentioned that that he it was blocked up a little bit better than what he ultimately got out of the play. And so, uh, yeah, I don't I certainly don't think it was his best game. I think to the original point that you made about, you know, needing all 11 guys or I think kind of the the opposite of that is is you just need it only takes one guy to screw the whole thing up, right? There were there were a couple of plays we were watching um, where it was one block, right? It was a backside cutoff block that didn't happen that screwed everything up because everybody else executed their blocks properly. And then it was just this one guy that kind of allowed things to blow up. So yeah, it was a combination of things. You can tell they're still getting used to this scheme. I mean, this is something we've talked about zone runs, you know, in scheme month for the last like three years now, I think so. Um, you're not wrong. It's uh, and it, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, throughout that whole process, right. Is you hear coaches that have been, uh, running this scheme for a long time. Talk about like, this is what you have to do in practice. All It takes time, right? It's a Alex simple Gibbs. concept.
0: It was Alex Gibbs, right? The guy was like this, if you're going to run this play successfully, this is the only damn play you need to run.
1: Yeah. Um, and he probably takes it a little to the extreme, but it's, I mean, the point is there, right? That this needs to be the wide majority of your run snap reps in practice. And it just takes time um, to, to be able to kind of work out the timing and, and uh, all of that stuff between the offensive line and the running back.
0: Now there were some things that I think were on the positive side. And one thing that I noticed on the positive side was Daniel Kilgore, as the center on a couple of the reach blocks that are really difficult for the center to make. There's a lot of really good articles actually on Alex Mack and how he helped transform the Falcons running game last year and how he really was the linchpin to that run game. And now he helped kind of unlock the the Shanahan offense. The center is a huge part of this offensive scheme when it comes to the run game. And the center usually has to execute a pretty tough block right off the bat. And there were a couple snaps that, I mean, Daniel Kilgore was not perfect in this game, But there were a couple snaps where you're looking at him and you're like, whoa, okay, that's like that's a really difficult block to make, and yet you're still making it. And in one place specifically where he's not able to get that reach, he then quickly adjusts and and he just pushes the guy out of the way, which is exactly what you should do, right? If you can't cut him off, you're like, well, not gonna win that one, so I'm just gonna keep carrying him. And so, you know, in in the snaps that he had, and I think this game was one game where Kilgore and the starting offensive line had a lot of snaps compared to Kansas City, I actually left pretty impressed with Daniel Kilgore in the run game, and and thought to myself, wow, okay, I can see why Jeremy Zuta was expendable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the issue is really going to be a guard. I think that's where the main concern is, and uh, Trent Brown uh, on the the backside, especially. I think he's somebody so far. Like again, we've been a little bit concerned as to how well, he would fare in, in kind of the scheme that requires a lot more movement. And I think when he's been on the play side, so when the runs going to the right side, right behind him, uh, he's looked a lot better. I think on the backside, uh, he actually had, he had a really good block. If you watch like the, the first play, the first, I think it was the first overall offensive play. It was the, offensive yeah, it was play, the first
0: he, offensive play. Yeah. yeah,
1: definitely. First run play. Um, he, it was, it's maybe the best like zone block that I've ever seen him make. You know, he gets the cutoff on the backside Um, pushes the guy probably five, six yards downfield and then gets a pancake out of it. So uh, that, though, just doesn't happen very often. I mean, the wide majority of the time he's not able to get to that cutoff block. And that allows you the reason that's so important. I mean, it it starts with the center, really, right? That's kind of you're trying to create this divide in the defense where if you can't get outside and, and the majority of outside zone runs don't go around the edge because it just it's really difficult to get everybody kind of sealed back inside. So most of the time, your, your best chance for success is to cut the defense in half. And that starts with the center and the reach block that you mentioned, and then continues out to your backside guard and backside tackle, getting those cutoff blocks. And so if one of those guys, you know, isn't able to get that now, all of a sudden that, that divide that you're trying to create in the middle of defense is closed up by a backside defender and it just kind of screws everything up. So, um, all of those blocks are very important. And I think, uh, yeah, Kilgore so far has looked pretty good. It's it's kind of the guys that are on either side of him that I think are the major yeah. concern.
0: And Joe Staley is going to continue to be Joe Staley. He is one of the more athletic left tackles in the league, and he's slimmed down again. Football's fun for him by his own words. But yeah, you look at Brendan Fusco, and you look at Zane tap the thigh Beals, and you, you just, you're not excited about them in the run game specifically, irrespective of the fact that they have, I guess, schematic familiarity. But it's just not something that looks like they'll be able to consistently do what they need to in order to make really, really positive run uh, or really positive run gains. And you look at someone like poor Capri Bibbs, dude had six yards, all of which came after contact. Like those are hard-earned yards. It's a rough life. That is a rough life. So the running game, not so good. But on the flip side of the offensive line, you've got pass blocking. Now, there was an article that came out in Pro Football Focus, and it talked about how the 49ers are ranked first in the league over the first two weeks, in pass-blocking efficiency. Joe Staley, Trent Brown, and Daniel Kilgore all have pass-blocking efficiency ratings of 100, meaning that they have not given up a pressure over the course of the first two preseason games. And and so overall, you think to yourself, wow, okay, the run game is not good, uh, but pass-blocking, that must be excellent. We're going to have one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the league. Right, David? I mean, probably not. (laughs) Uh, I,
1: I mean... So here's like they've definitely been better. I mean, I think there's no question that they've been better in pass protection um, than they have been before. Before you started shitting all over them,
0: there there were a couple times, there were a couple times that we <laughs> saw them pass off some stunts really well, especially along the interior. Yeah. Um, Trent Brown is. I've been tweeting out that you know it's a tale of two skill sets because you've got your pass blocking skill set, which he seems to be fairly good at. And then you've got your run blocking skill set, which he is not very good at. Um, even from his stance, like he just does not look like a natural three point stance run blocker. His, his, he might be the, the only three point stance I've seen in the NFL where his butt is above his head.
1: Yeah. I mean, his ass is up there. Uh, <laughs> like, and he's just a month. Like, I don't think people he's that like six, large eight. should be getting down into a three point stance. Like he yeah. should just roll with a two point stance almost yeah. the entire time. um, but yeah, I think Trent Brown's looked great in pass protection. I think, um, you know, he's he's done really well there. Um, I think he's kind of starting to clean up some issues that he's had and, and be a little bit more consistent. Um, so hopefully that's something that you see translate over uh, into the regular season play, of course. But uh, and I think, yeah, you, you'd like to see some communication there, like with you, what you mentioned in terms of uh, passing up the stunts and being able to handle those things well. And I think they have uh, done some some good work there at the same time. They're not, like, seeing the most complex stuff, right? It's still preseason. We're still seeing kind of, uh, you know, basic two-man stunts or something like that, like things that they should be able to uh, pass off and account for the, the wide majority of the time. Like, those aren't stunts, and unless you are got, you know, Justin Smith in there holding for you, um, that, that really should be successful at a, a very high rate, you know, if you're just doing, like, a, a tackle and stunt to one side, right? Um, so yeah, I think it's encouraging that they're doing those things, you know, again, have to keep that in the proper context. Um, but I think the first team guards that, that we've seen so far, so Beatles and Fusco, um, they've had some more issues in terms of, I think they've gotten lucky. I think this is a, a, an issue where sample size has really come into play, right? There, there've been some plays where they haven't looked very good and they've kind of gotten manhandled, but either the ball was out quick or it just like for whatever other reason, it didn't lead to, to a pressure being given up. Right. Um, and so I think that's stuff that, that works itself out once you have a full season's worth of sample size, you know, you're, you're going to kind of see more true results there. Whereas in a two game sample where you're playing only a few series uh, you know, it's, it's something that can really hide itself. But uh, yeah, I think th- th- there. I'm certainly not ready to like say that these guys have made some massive leap forward as pass protectors. So
0: contextualizing the offensive line, there's still some concern about their production. They're still probably one of the weaker spots on the entire team. And sample size is something to note here. And we're going to talk about sample size a lot. The, I think one of the key takeaways from sample size in this episode specifically is that sample size is important because you want to be able to make inferences about the data that you're looking at. And you that means you have to have enough data to be able to make kind of predictive inferences. Like there's enough snaps here to say, yes, they've proven over a certain number of, of snaps that they can perform at a certain level. And those snaps were quality snaps. They're snaps against really good competition or they're snaps against schemes that they're going to see more often. I think this third game is going to be a bit more indicative, especially against a team like Minnesota that is that has a really, really good defense. I mean, their defense is really good. So while it's promising, it's definitely in no way, shape, or form set in stone that they are going to make a big leap. So let's switch then to play action. Play action is something that we've been talking about a lot, and it's something that, again, we talked about it last week. And it's just, it's, it's amazing how much, how many gimmies they get because of play action. The 49ers were five for five for 110 yards. The quarterbacks were five for five 110 yards and a perfect 158.3 passer rating when using play action versus the Broncos. And that trend continued from the Kansas City game because over two weeks, the 49ers quarterbacks as a combined unit are 13 of 17, which is 76.4% completion percentage for 268 yards and 157.1 rating when running play action. Now, that's really, really good. You're thinking to yourself, that's awesome. Play action is great. Let's do more of that. (laughs) Um, Because when they're not running play action, they're 21 of 40, 52.5% completion percentage. For 213 yards and a 65.9 rating when not running play action, that's um that's a jekyll and hyde. That's that's a disparity. I don't think think that's great. That's uh that's Blake Bortles bad. That's (laughs) Bortles uh, (laughs) gets me every time. (laughs) Oh god. Yeah, but yeah, 52 percent. That's not good. That's unless we're talking about like 1960s, maybe like Sammy Bob, like 52 percent.
1: I mean, uh, it, it it's definitely something that's made a, a huge, huge difference. And, um, you know, we've talked about kind of what that does, what play action does for the defense. And I think it's especially so when you're you're talking about play action in the preseason. Right. Because not only do you get a lot of those advantages where you're, um, you know, I, I think especially with the outside zone. like, And this is why. Um, this play action game that Shanahan's had and uh, is, is been really the best. It was the best in the NFL last year. You know, it's been among the best in the NFL for a long time. I mean, this stuff isn't, you know, new it's, it's been going back to, you know, elder Shanahan with the Broncos where they're doing the same stuff and it's uh, nothing transcendent with the past concepts. You know, these are these, these rollout concepts from a past uh, standpoint have been, you know, they're, they're high school level stuff. Like the, it's not anything that's crazy complex it's just really tough on defenses because that outside zone really messes with your linebacker run keys. And it just, it's hard for them not to, to kind of sell out and move forward with that. And then that opens up your space in the second level um, for a lot of easy throws. And I think we've seen uh Beathard especially really take advantage of that. I think he's used play action uh, the most, if I recall of uh, any of the three quarterbacks so far. Um, and so, yeah, it's just something that, you know, we know this is going to be a foundational piece of the offense, uh, the question, I think, as it translates to the regular season is can they keep games competitive enough to be able to use play action consistently, right? Because we talked about this. This play action was a big component of Chip Kelly's offense. Uh, however, when you're down by, you know, 14, 20 points in the second half, you can't really use play action. It's not. It's no longer effective.
0: So play action overall definitely helped the, the Falcons last year. They had their yards per attempt for Matt Ryan went up but, you know, with play action as opposed to without play action, more so than the rest of the league did. I mean, this is going to be a core concept and a core component of the Shanahan offense. The Niners so far this preseason, 15.8 yards per attempt on play action, 5.3 yards <laughs> per attempt without play action. That's Lord. that's over a 10 yard difference. It's a, it's ridiculous. And we, we bring up play action because we wanted to take a moment to, uh, you know, for the next segment, which is about the quarterbacks. And there was an interesting article that I read from Justice Mosqueda, who, if you're not reading his work, you really should. He does a lot of really, really good stuff about edge defenders. We talked about it when we were, you know, drafting Solomon Thomas, and uh, and I think what he had an article talking about the ranking of the quarterbacks and how they performed this preseason. Now, in the article, he talks about how C.J. Beathard is is surpassing or should be surpassing Brian Hoyer based on one key statistic, and that's going to be the adjusted net yards per attempt. And long story short on that number, it is a really, really accurate um, predictor or something that correlates with successful quarterback play. And they adjust it based on, you know, they kind of weight it for touchdowns and they wait it for interceptions so that you get this, this net number that is a pretty good predictor of how good a quarterback is playing. And this number, and you can read the article, we'll post it in the uh, the description of the podcast as well. This article basically says that Bethard is far surpassing expectation based on an average quarterback in these two preseason games uh, as compared to Hoyer, who actually is underperforming based on expectations. And and so overall, the argument that Justice is is making is that that there is a quarterback competition in San Francisco and that Hoyer is losing or should be losing that quarterback competition. So David, do you agree with that general statement that, that right now there is kind of this quasi quarterback competition and that if there is one that Beathard should be the person in the lead?
1: No, I I don't agree with any of that. And it's not because Brian Hoyer has been like, you know, some great quarterback that the numbers just aren't seen right now. Like it's nothing like that. It's just, it just doesn't make sense from the standpoint of where the 49ers are at right now. I mean, Hoyer, uh, again, getting back to the, the sample size thing, right? So how many times do we see rookie quarterbacks come in against, uh, you know, a little bit more vanilla defenses, not getting blitzed all that often? Blake
0: Portals did have hype his first preseason.
1: He had a great first preseason, right? Everybody was talking about how he needed to come in and be the starter right away. Um, and, and you see this every year. I mean, there are stories that there are definitely players You know, that perform well, that kind of come out of nowhere in the preseason and then see that translate um, to the regular season. I think one of the uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Victor Cruz was like one of the better examples of that, where he just kind of came out of nowhere because he was an undrafted guy, had a massive preseason and then went on to have the career that he's had. Yeah. Corey Um, Sheets. Right, of Kitty. course. How could we forget? Hey,
0: man, he wanted uh, to have a great career with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders Matt um,
1: Breida is about to add his name to that he's list. He's about to dunk all over it. Yeah, but
0: unless they're trying to hide him, which is a whole different story. Um, not Carlos Hyde, but you know, uh, uh, <laughs> kind of I think Carlos that Adam. yeah, I think the most recent example for this would be Dak Prescott. The, Dak Prescott yeah. had a really, really good preseason, and before you knew that he was going to really take over. Um, he ended up having a phenomenal regular season as well. So yeah. there there is, there can be a correlate, but it's not necessarily going to happen just because you play well in the
1: preseason. Yeah, I feel like for every one of those, there's like five guys that tear up the preseason, probably even more than that, probably like 10 guys that tear up the preseason and then never do anything in the regular season, right? Corey so, Sheets. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Corey Sheets goes in that bucket. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you just have to kind of keep that stuff in context and, and realize that, again, remember what we know about Bethard and that he was a guy that... Uh, you know, was a little raw coming out of school and, and had a lot of things to work on. And even though, um, you know, things he's a, a th- think he's a pretty good fit for what, you know, Shanahan's doing offensively. And, and obviously Shanahan likes him and uh, we trust in his ability to kind of develop that skill set. I think right now it's not there yet. I mean, I think if you look at any of the guys, even though Beathard has had some of the bigger plays this preseason, right? Mostly in that first week. He's also had more poor throws than any of the three quarterbacks this preseason. So uh, he's still very much a rookie, still somebody that shouldn't be anywhere near a starting lineup right now.
0: Before we get to to some of the num- numerical based arguments, it, I think the point that you just made about Beathard having, you know, some really good throws, but also some really poor throws is important. If you look at the Denver game, there were some balls that were just off target, even if they were caught, this is a ball location issue. And, this is something that's important because just because a ball is caught doesn't mean it was necessarily accurate. A, a wide receiver can make a phenomenal grab; they can really help the quarterback out. And there were a couple of balls that came out of Bethers' hands that were like, "Ah, oh, really shouldn't be throwing it there." The the, the the wide receiver makes a great play, and if you're going to have an unquestioned kind of starter, you want him to be able to execute these kinds of throws with a high degree of precision. And it's not something that we've seen from Beathard over two preseason games, despite the fact that he's completing his passes. So uh, when you look when you look to the film, just the accuracy you would hope improves a little bit over time. Now, when you look at the the sample size issue, here's, I think, where the sample size issue becomes uh, becomes, well, an issue. Right. You've got 16 attempts for Hoyer so far this preseason. And there's one completion that kind of flips the entire narrative when it comes to adjusted net yards per attempt over the course of this preseason. And that is the interception to Marquise Goodwin against the Denver Broncos, I think, in the the late first or second quarter. And that would have been and should have been a a, a 12-yard completion. But instead of being a 12-yard completion, it ends up being an interception, and you don't get those extra 10 yards. Because of the way the adjusted net yards per attempt number is calculated, it weights, uh, it weights interceptions as a highly negative play. And if you were to just take that one play and turn it into a catch by Goodwin, Hoyer's any net yards per attempt number jumps to above average. It jumps, so it goes from negative to beyond above average. And so, just that one play, because you have such a limited sample size, one play flopping one way or the other has a huge outsized effect on the number that ends up resulting. So, you can't really project that over the course of the regular season. And this is where sample size truly does become an issue because you're talking about 16 plays. That's not even like an Alex Smith 2011 win type of passing game
1: right? yeah i mean like, that's like a half in yeah, the regular season that that, you that know, is legit maybe, like maybe even in some instances like a low half right yeah. if you think of like 40 attempts or so as like uh a, a pretty reasonable i mean i guess that's maybe a little high but for a, a team that's probably expected to play from behind yeah lot, i'd say like, like 30 yeah i'd say number. somewhere 30 yeah, yeah yeah
0: that's probably reasonable and this is why i bring up the alex smith number because there were games in 2011 where he only had you know 20 attempts, 22 attempts because we were up and we had a great defense and you're able to grind it out near the end of the game. So, you know, you are that that's really, really low. You're not even talking about a full game. And and so I think overall, this is where sample size truly does become an issue. But the other part I think that's interesting is that we talked about the splits with play action for the 49ers and CJ Beathard has leveraged play action quite a bit more over this preseason than Hoyer. He's leveraged play action 26.9% of his passing snaps, whereas Hoyer is only 18. Now, they both have performed fairly well, but CJ Beathard has two touchdowns uh, on those play action passes and because, again, the way that any net yards per attempt number works, it values touchdowns quite a bit higher and so he's getting a bit of a bump from some of these play action passes, some of which he has very little to do with, like the George Kittle play. The The George Kittle play was just George Kittle being George Kittle.
1: Um, which is maybe the only time that somebody said that and meant it as a really good thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think the thing with Beathard, yeah, that you mentioned it and kind of lean into with the, the the play action stuff there is that he's had a lot of throws. You know, a lot of his most successful plays um, have been plays that he had pretty easy throws on, right? Like the, the Kittle touchdown is a, a great example where, you know, looks big in the box score, right? Was like, what, a 20, 30 yard touchdown, something like that. And, I mean, it was a throw that, like, most, like, dudes could make. Like, if you're just rolling, he's got no pressure in his face. Like, you just got to, like, roll out there and toss it five yards in front of you.
0: Dontari Poe is going to play offense this year.
1: Dontari Poe could have completed that pass. That's my question.
0: Could could Dontari Poe have made that throw?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could have completed that
0: pass. Could Dontari Poe have made the throw that he completed against Kendrick Bourne when Bourne basically obliterated a corner on play action? And the corner is like, I think the corner is still sliding like into outer space. the deep one to space. the right side? Uh, the deep one to the left on the touchdown in the first game, I think. Oh, in the first game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, no, Don Terry Poe's not probably making that. <laughs> I, I also, for the record, probably not making that throw. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, so I think he's, uh, you know, because he's used play action a little bit more, um, he's playing usually against, you know, second and third stringers. Uh, he's seen some larger windows on those plays, right? There, there are a lot of plays that, that he's generating big yardage on, um, where there's a, just a large area that he gets to throw the ball to, and, and he doesn't really have to throw to contested situations. So um, I think that's helping him out because you see in other spots where he does either say he gets pressured in the pocket, um, you know, because that's the other thing I guess that we really didn't touch on during the, the offensive line stuff and, and them looking so good uh, in pass protection is that play action helps out a lot with that too, right? Play action helps, kind of limit that pass rush, especially when you got that outside zone action, because at that point, like most defensive linemen, unless you're just the backside guy, I mean, they're that play's over for them. You know, they realize that it's a pass and everybody just kind of stands over there. Like, yeah, let's just let them let, let the little guys do their thing here. And um, so you see some plays uh, where, you know, he does get pressured where he doesn't have the benefit of some of those things. And then you see the ball start to sail a little bit, right. It start to be off the mark. Um, you start to see, uh, him be a little bit late, you know, when he can't just kind of come back off that play fake, look up and see his guy be open, you know, kind of in the middle of the field there. Uh, he's, he's been late on some throws and hasn't really been processing things as as quickly as you would like to see, which again, in the grand scheme of things, all things that you would expect from uh, a rookie that was drafted where he was drafted. Um, but I think it's just, goes to show that he's not really like he i don't think he's been even the best 49ers quarterback this uh this preseason like i think it's close between him and barkley um but you could certainly make the argument that he's been the worst because he's certainly had the again the most poor throws uh, of any of those three so far
0: yeah so the passer rating under pressure this preseason uh when you're looking at cj bethard he has a passer rating of 135.4 uh so he does he's able to perform well under pressure.
1: That was so that was largely again from that first game. He yep. had like two throws under pressure. And one of them completed was the, both of them. One was a big throw to Bourne to for Bourne. a touchdown. Yep. So again, sample size is really big there, or is really a, a big thing to keep in mind with that because uh he just doesn't have a, a lot of throws, and because of that, like that one big play is still just going to have an outsized effect Bumping his, his pass rating way up.
0: And this is not to say that Bethard has played poorly. I mean, we've seen, uh, we've seen first round picks in the preseason play worse than perhaps Bethard has played this preseason. But I think to make the leap from having two solid games, you know, and, and not even two solid full games, probably what amounts to one game's worth of throws over the course of two games.
1: Yeah. He's had like, yeah. If you put it in like context of like a full game, he's had like a good quarter.
0: Yeah. And, and and so I think that overall, he's still performing well. And I think that rightfully so. There's a question about whether him or Barkley should be the number two. And I think that's maybe like he's performed well enough to get into that conversation. Which but,
1: no one expected, right? That you know, in and of itself is like, I think, a good, good accomplishment for yeah. his rookie season. I,
0: I absolutely agree. And and I do think, though, that the, the conversation about should he start instead of Hoyer or should he supplant Hoyer is a little ridiculous. Like yeah, that, that it's is a little silly.
1: Like Hoyer's not good. It's but, silly
0: and it's premature. I mean, yeah. this is this is someone who... And, and yes, Hoyer's not good. He is what he is. I mean, he's had some ball location issues as well, but we know this going in. He is the, the, he is not existing in this world of you're either a great quarterback or you're terrible, right? It's not you're Peyton Manning or you're Johnny Manziel. This is not the, the binary world in which we live when it comes to, to judging quarterbacks. There is, you know, there's gradations, right? You've got everything from... Tom Brady to the Andy Dalton line to the new Andy Dalton line, which is the Alex Smith line to to Blake Bortles all the
1: way down there. Bortles.
0: You know, you've got, (laughs) you've got that entire range and I still think that Hoyer is an above average quarterback. And right now Mm. that's all you need.
1: He's a below average quarterback. I think that
0: I think 15 quarterbacks. I think he's like above 15.
1: He's sitting firmly in like maybe 24 at best. Uh, I think he's about. I think he's like fifteen, maybe fourteen, depending. You're buying in. You're buying in too much to this uh, this off season feel goodness. No, it's not off season feel goodness. It is.
0: It is seeing him perform with you know questionable weapons in Chicago last year. It's you know before he broke his arm. It's everything he's done so far. I think he's not great, but I I think that he is. um, He is probably my new. Andy Dalton line ish.
1: I think you're either. So either if it's not then like getting into a little bit uh, of the optimism that's going through this off season, it's forgetting about all of the other quarterbacks who are much better than him.
0: That, that, that may be true. And maybe we should do like, maybe not right now, but we'll do a quick ranking of, of maybe if we have time at the end of who we think is better, but I think he is near the bottom of tier two. Cause I've oh my God, I put no. like four, four tiers, like basically like core tiles of quarterbacks, right? And you've got tier one, which are, you know, kind of your that includes some of your Hall of Famers and some of the really, really good ones. Right. Like you're looking at probably top 10, top 12. So
1: if you just do it in like groups of eight. Right. So if you take 32 starting quarterbacks and yep. throw them into four groups. Right. Uh, I mean, he's the bottom stra- of tier he's two. straddling the three, four border. For yeah, sure. I think he's, he's in he's, that tw- mid 20s. Right? And
0: I think he's like the, the very bottom of tier two somewhere in the tier three area.
1: Most definitely not. We mm-hmm. will get a, a very rude awakening for Brian Hoyer's ability here uh, in like two weeks.
0: We will absolutely find that. Well, we'll, we'll see probably a bit of it. Uh, we don't know how much they're going to play, but the starters should play quite a bit against uh, against Minnesota.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess it really depends on how much Minnesota's defense is playing their starters and what they're doing. yeah, Minnesota or if they're the like Denver injury. and they're just going yeah, to mean, sit gonna their, sit their entire, sit entire defensive line and then still like dunk all over them. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, like oh yeah. By the way, we don't need three quarters of our starting defense, and you're still not going to. Move the ball so cool. So let's
0: switch to the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk a little bit about pressure and overall the blitz packages the 49ers are running because the 49ers are blitzing a, a pretty decent amount this uh, this preseason. They blitz 26% of the time overall and it seems like a lot of those are defensive back blitzes. You've got the Jaquaski Tart sack, you've got kawan Williams coming on corner blitzes from the slot about 25% of the time that the 49ers are blitzing on defense. They're blitzing with a defensive back. So do you think that, you know, based on what we know about Robert Sala and based on what we know about the Seattle scheme, does this blitz percentage fall in line with what you would expect from, from this kind of defensive scheme? Or do you think that they're just trying things out, testing things out and that this is an aberration when when it comes to the preseason or when it comes to the regular season?
1: No, I think that number fits pretty well. Um, That's, that's like a probably slightly below average number. I think last year, uh, the team that blitz most often was the Saints, which was uh, just a little over 41% of the time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you're you're looking with 26%. That seems to fit. Like, it's going to be a little bit more of a conservative defense. I think this is, they definitely fall closer to the camp of, like, the Vic Fangio style, right? Where we're going to kind of line up and and do what we do, and we're going to trust that what we do is better than what you're doing, right? We're not going to necessarily try to disguise a whole lot. And, and kind of run a, a lot of different, you know, complex stuff like they've been trying to do the last couple years under uh, Mangini and then Jim O'Neill. So it's a different type of defense from that that perspective. Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, again, about a quarter of the time seems to make sense. I think you will see them kind of bring out pressure packages and obvious uh, passing situations at times and things like that. Um, the DB blitzes is interesting. That w- That's something that I think I would have to dig into a little bit more because I'm not sure if that's something... Uh, that you know Seattle is really preferred um, when, since Carol's been there or anything like that, if that's kind of been like a hallmark of, of that, type of defense complete um,
0: anecdotal and like no data whatsoever this is just me thinking like of the times i've seen seattle play do they blitz a defensive back i don't think they do all that often
1: doesn't feel like it, it yeah really it, doesn't. it doesn't really seem like something that's that's uh stuck out so i feel like they yeah.
0: bring more pressure on the edge or bring a line like a speedy linebacker or something like bruce Irvin before he was like a true leo and he was playing yeah. linebacker i don't think they blitz defensive backs really
1: Yeah, they're definitely like a uh, we're going to rush four, and, you know, we'll do some maybe some creative things with those four, especially like in obvious pass situations. Right. We'll do, uh, you know, kind of the thing where you see defenses where they put three guys to one side of the ball and then just have your one guy like way outside at the wide nine on the opposite side and then kind of run some stunts off of that. Um, So you'll see them get a little creative, but it's it's still just ultimately rushing four, and we want to play that kind of safe coverage behind them.
0: Now, despite the fact that we're blitzing about 26% of the time, we are getting pressure on the quarterback 36% of the time, and that puts the 49ers at 11th after two weeks. So if you were if that percentage were to hold up in the regular season, that would put them somewhere around 10th or 11th with 36%. Uh, last year, the 49ers finished 33% in pressure percentage, and that put them at 23rd. So even that three percentage point change is good enough for, you know, a, a good 10 point to to 12 to 11 kind of place ranking in the NFL. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's not that there's not a wide distribution when it comes to pressure percentage. Definitely. And and to me, this again is like I, I don't think the Niners are going to have a, you know, top 15 pressure defense. This is Solomon Thomas going up against second stringers in Kansas City and just absolutely dominating them. And yeah. And Tank Carradine, who we're going to talk about here in a minute, also dominating against twos and threes um, and sometimes ones. And and so I think that when you've got some solid defensive line play uh, against second string offensive linemen, well, you would hope that they're going to to dominate and they have and that's resulted because of sample size in an inflated pressure percentage and a higher ranking.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely not uh, overly optimistic that they'll be able to to really like um, flirt with like a top 10 pressure rate or anything like that. I, I mean, if they were able to get that, if they were able to maintain that sort of pressure rate. Um, throughout the regular season. I mean, that is, is really a game changer for this defense because suddenly uh, now you're helping out your young secondary, right? I think uh, everybody kind of thinks that the 49ers have some talent in the secondary. Obviously, we like Robinson. You know, we're big fans of Akella Witherspoon. I think that Jimmy Ward is going to do well at free safety. i still, still the Dante hey, Johnson train, dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Dante Johnson's a guy that we've been talking about for, for a few years now and, and hoping that he would get uh, a greater opportunity. An opportunity. So, um, yeah, I think they have, uh, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of unproven guys. And so I think that it's uh, getting a little ahead of ourselves to expect them to be a really good unit this year. Um, but if, if all of a sudden you're getting, you know, pressure after, uh, on the quarterback more frequently, and those guys aren't having to stay out and cover as long, like that changes things a little bit, right? That helps them out significantly. And, uh, they're not out there, you know, covering for three, four seconds and, and kind of getting beat. So Uh, Yeah, I think all of a sudden you really could see this defense take a little bit bigger step forward this year uh, in terms of production and performance um, if they can maintain that during the regular season.
0: So let's talk our arrow up and arrow down players then. And we've got a couple arrow up and arrow down players that we'll bring to you both from the offense and defense. And then we've got three arrow down players because we like to end on a sour note. That's what we're going to do this year. (laughs) Uh, we're. La- I think last week we I mean, started with the fair, Arrow Down. Yeah, I was going to say, we flipped it up uh, yeah. last week. Last so. week we started Arrow Down. This week we're going to start Arrow Up. And this week, the first Arrow Up player, which is someone who, to me at least, has has kind of popped off the, the film and the game tape that I've seen, and that's Tank Carradine. I don't like calling him Cornelius Carradine. No, it's real dumb. Yeah, Cornelius Carradine just sounds like, I don't know, Orville Redenbacher's cousin. Like, like he doesn't make popcorn. He makes, like, candy corn or some shit, like, that's oh God. It's just getting worse with each little detail. Yeah, that like had. He wears suspenders and like a visor and he makes candy corn and candy corn is the worst corn and the worst candy ever. Like it fails on two. <laughs> it fails on two it's, points. It's not good at either one. No, it's sense. not good at either one. It can't do yeah, any one I mean, fucking thing. Well, it just I can't do it. Don't I disagree. Yeah, it's just not good. But this week he had 15 snaps, four pressures, two stops. His pass rushing productivity over two weeks puts him at third for edge defenders over the course of the preseason. Again, sample size notwithstanding. And so this is someone who has been kind of miscast and he's you know kind of waffled in weight in, based on what teams have asked him to do. He played in a 4-3 as an edge defender defensive end at Florida State. And then he comes to the 49ers, tries to convert to a five technique defensive end and then an outside linebacker. He went from 295 to you know, 275, and now he's back playing into a in a four three scheme, something that he's more comfortable with. And and we forget that this guy, d- despite his you know all ACL team status, was someone that you know was drafted in the second round. And even if you remove the bulky bump, and you say maybe he's a third rounder, you know that's still talented enough to get drafted in the third round. So no idea if he is going to be you know, if he's going to play significant snaps on the team, especially with Solomon Thomas being, you know, freaking Solomon Thomas. But at least from what I've seen so far, it feels like he's finally fit in a role that makes sense for him on this defense.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, with everything that we've seen from tank Carradine, like definitely not hopping on that bandwagon yet. You know, it, it's one of those situations. It's no Matt Brita. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, last year we saw kind of a similar thing, um, with him in, in terms of having kind of a big preseason, right. And thinking that, okay, maybe this is finally the time that he's going to put it together and break out. And then obviously nothing happened. I think really we have, you know, again, going back to sample size uh, it's, we have a pretty large body of work at this point of him in regular season, like meaningful game action, uh, not being a very good football player. And, and, ultimately, you can talk a lot about, you know, fit and all that stuff and, and kind of changing weights and playing different roles and all those things and and not denying at all that those things matter and, and could have contributed. But it takes more than, you know, uh, two preseason games where he's playing just a small chunk of snaps and, and looking good to really change what that opinion is from the large body at work. Right. He's still somebody that has struggled and uh, he's struggled both getting after the passer and in run defense. He's looked really weak at the point of attack at times. Um, so I think while, yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously, it's always encouraging when you see players perform well, you know, even if it's in something like preseason games, um, you, you still got to remember to, to keep in that context and say like, okay, I, I just need to wait and see him do it over a longer stretch in real games. And um, I think ultimately, you know, the the thing, really, barring injury, you know, if with, with guys like Buckner and Armstead and Solomon Thomas, uh, kind of ahead of him in playing similar type of roles, um, I, I just can't really see him getting on the field enough to do much damage this year.
0: I don't like your logic. I don't like your reasoning. This kind of responsible approach to sports is <laughs> not why I do this. Not. It's just not. I want. I want takes. T- I want takes with an E. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I, again, I do agree that he's not going to come out and have like, you know, a seven sack season or some crap where we're going to be like, Whoa, where did this come from? But I do think that he is going to provide quality depth along this defensive line. And I think in limited snaps, which I imagine that over the course of the year, he'll probably play something like 30% of the snaps. And, and in those 30%, I think he's going to be a good role player for this team for uh the defense for a position on this team that is the deepest and does have the most talent, and, and I think for if you think of the narrative for Tank Carradine a year or two ago it was holy crap you're a bust you I can't believe you're here and and I think you know it, while it's still a little underwhelming considering he was a second round draft pick I do think the fact that he's providing quality depth on this team is like okay like it it wasn't what we hopefully envisioned but all right respect like I, you get it.
1: So let me ask you this. Um, I don't and I don't know if it'll come down to this sort of decision necessarily. Like I haven't really been paying too much attention yet to uh, like roster bubble stuff and and looking exactly what that 53 is going to look like. Um, But if it say came down to they need to decide whether to keep Tank Carradine or Ronald Blair because I think you can make in terms of, of usage, right. I think they could potentially fill similar type roles. I think Ronald Blair is a guy that's fairly versatile and, and can play, um, just about, you know, any spot, probably three of the four spots on the defensive line. If you really needed him to, you know, he may not be ideal at some of those. Like, I don't think ideally you want him at nose tackle, but I think, uh, you could probably get away with it if you needed him to. Right. Um, and and he was a guy that I think if we if you ignore this preseason, I don't think he's I mean he's only played 14 snaps this preseason. I don't think yeah, he's, he's played he's been poorly um, when he when he's been in there. But I think this is a guy based on what we've seen and what we know about them headed into this preseason. I, I think I would rather take a chance on somebody like Ronald Blair, who's only entering his second season to kind of put things together and and become a, a more significant piece of this line. Than I would with tank carotene.
0: Why can I make me choose between my children, dude? Why? 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 Like why the, is tank carotene
1: one of your children? Like Sophie. That's, Sophie.
0: No. no. And he's not like no. Sophie's choice didn't end well for anyone. It just doesn't. Spoiler Sorry. alert. Doesn't end well. All right. Um. Th- you know that's actually a really good question. That's a good question. The Ronald Blair tank carotene. I think dichotomy. You know I, the thing about Ronald Blair that excited me was his athleticism. I very firmly believe that if that you can't really coach athleticism because genetics and if a player doesn't have to worry about that part of it and they have the ability to focus on everything else, you've kind of removed a big part of the equation that is translating to the NFL. That doesn't mean that you need to be a good athlete comparatively in order to succeed. It just means that more than likely to. Right. And so I know that Ronald Blair is is a really, really good athlete. And in this scheme, I could very much see him playing at three technique uh, and I could see him playing, you know, Leo, I could see him playing everywhere but the nose. Uh, you know, I, I really don't know. That's a really good question. Um, that that's, I don't know. That's a good yeah. question. I and- think,
1: I think I just like him better is, you know, I think in base he's, he's still kind of like a lot of the other guys probably fits best at, uh, either like the strong side end or at the, uh, three tech. But, um, I think when you get into again, sub packages, which is where you're going to live most of the time. Like I like him more as uh as an interior rusher than I do tank Carradine. And I like, I think uh, he's an interior
0: guy. I don't think that he's going to be a true edge guy. I think he's an yeah. interior guy. And I, you know, honestly, I, at this point, I probably lean tank a little bit. Um, but, but I could easily be persuaded otherwise.
1: Yeah, I just think again, it comes back to we have what four seasons now of Tank Carotene, or is this going to be four? Uh, this is going to be four. This is
0: his final year.
1: Um, so three years then, um, of Tank Carotene, and it's I think the odds of him kind of suddenly becoming a much better player than what we've seen from him are lower than uh, the odds of a second-year player continuing to develop, right, and becoming. Uh, a, a more significant piece. Yeah,
0: that's fair. You may have almost convinced me, but you know, I'm you. Know, know. I'm not there yet. Not there yet. All right, let's get to the next Arrow Up player, and that's going to be Eric Magnuson. This is someone that you pointed out as you're like, "Hey, you know what? I watch this dude, and it's not just because his name reminds me of the world's Strongest Man. Uh, it's because <laughs> he might actually be a strong man."
1: Yeah, I thought he played really well, um, and and is somebody that I think has actually played pretty well throughout the the first two preseason games and. Um again Guard has been such a massive problem right we we know we haven't got to see Josh Garnett at all this preseason but uh we know about the struggles that he had last year uh and, and it, it was hard to feel you know overly confident really with him you're banking on it's like hey I hope he is a talented guy that improves in year 2 right is kind of all you had to go on with him um and then obviously everything else has been uh kind of a disaster i mean Zane Beatles is is not a good football player uh Brandon Fusco does not appear to be a good football player. Uh, It's hard to feel good about a lot of the other guys on the roster at that spot. And so I was a little surprised. You know, I hadn't given him uh, much thought. But as I was charting, you know, blocks from the week two preseason game, uh, he was somebody that kind of stuck out. And you're like, okay, yeah, he looks pretty solid in pass protection. That he made some good cutoff blocks and showed, you know, uh, some good ability to kind of redirect, uh, which is important for offensive linemen in this scheme. You know, being able to kind of... uh, just stick your foot in the ground sometimes and make that quick change of direction to pick up the linebacker. That's trying to weave inside of you or outside of you, uh, to get in the backfield. And so I think there were some traits there. I mean, I'm not necessarily, uh, to a point where I'm ready to say that he should be one of the starting guards or anything, but, uh, I, I think he's definitely, uh, somebody that's a little bit intriguing and I think could be a good option because he played center as well. He, he, we went in, uh, at center on some of the snaps. So I think as kind of like your uh utility interior lineman uh essentially is is a reserve i think he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on so one
0: of the things that i noticed when we were watching the film on magnuson was his athleticism and his change of direction that was one place specifically where david you pointed out the fact that he kind of almost overruns it a little bit and then was able to stop adjust come back and still make the block and that's something that you don't see from some of our starting guards right now <laughs> uh there yeah. was a, a couple plays from fusco where i'm just like oh god oh no
1: insane beatles man like he just gets that like there was actually a a play that was very again outside zone on on both of these examples the one with magnuson and, and the one with beatles here um where you had kind of a similar block setup right where he's trying to get to the second level and get to a linebacker and uh because of how the play uh you know plays itself out um he has to kind of stop and work back to that linebacker a little bit to seal him off. And and you see Magnuson able to do that uh, and, and, you know, look a little bit more fluid in that movement. And then you see Beatles like almost fall over and let the linebacker, you know, kind of run by him and make a tackle. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, all those other pieces of contact that we talked about when talking about players negatively, right. Still apply here. You still got to remember that he's playing against, uh, you know, lesser defenders than what you're seeing those first team guys go against in most cases. Um, but yeah, I think he is uh, somebody that was kind of completely off my radar at all before this week. Um, and I, I think could be an interesting option as kind of a reserve interior lineman. So we get
0: to two other players that are arrow up, and that's going to be Eric Reed. We're not going to spend a ton of time on Eric Reed because that's, the, I think the Twitter sphere is blown up with Eric Reed being great. But this is someone that, David, you had to cover for Scouting Academy mm-hmm. and you were the first one to say, at least to me, hey, him in the box is a strong safety could be like really legit. He could really shine there. And that's exactly the case. That's exactly yeah. what's happened so far. He's lined up within eight yards of the line of scrimmage, 16 out of 23 plays, which means that this is firmly his position. He is an in the box safety. He recorded three stops against Denver and allowed only 11 receiving yards And that was on three receptions, and only three of those yards were after the catch. So if someone caught the ball, they got hit. And there were two hits that I remember seeing him just absolutely lay on people in the game against Denver. And there was another hit, again, again, in the game against Kansas City, where he is dropping to the flat, able to react, closes on the guy, and just nails him. I mean, this is Eric Reed's spot. This is his role, and he is really good at it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a really strong chance. I mean, we talked about DeForest Buckner, I think, in one of the previous episodes is like he's the best, the best defender, yeah. right? He's the best defender that we have, the, the guy that we expect to have the best season. But uh, I think there's a strong chance, like when we look back on this, if he stays healthy, that we look at Eric Reed as the best defender this season. Um, because, yeah, I think he just fits the scheme well. I think, um, you know, when he's up near the line of scrimmage, for whatever reason, he just seems to kind of see the game better and uh, his his reactions are better. Um, he just looks more comfortable in that role than he does when he's asked to play as like a deep middle of the field safety type. Right. So um, yeah, I think he's uh, we don't need to really say much more than that. He's going to be, I think a really strong piece this year, provided that he can stay healthy. So
0: a question for you then about Eric Reed is this is of course his fifth year option. Presuming he plays as well as we think he will play over the course of this year. Let's say, let's say that he is one of the top two or three defenders on the 49ers defense do you resign him at the market rate for a strong safety?
1: It's tough. Um, I mean, I, I See? don't... See, Sophie's don't Choice know, sucks, doesn't it? It uh, fucking sucks. Yeah, I, I don't know that, <laughs> you know, I'm giving him, like, you know, Cam Chancellor money or something, you know? Um, well, let me... Hold on. You, which I don't remember if that's, like, a thing, but I don't... Let me look I, I guess I put it a, a different way. I'm not ready to give him, like, top of the position money, necessarily. Um especially when you have a guy like I don't think Jakowski tart is as good of a player as Eric Reed I think I mean Eric Reeds is kind of a freakish athlete and um really is is just kind of again a perfect fit for what they're doing here and he's a talented guy but um I don't so know I, cam
0: Chancellor is the one two th- and this is from overthecap.com he is the one two three, fourth Highest paid and that's safety. all safeties. That's yeah, all that's safeties. not even looking at st- just yeah. Know, this isn't looking at in the box safeties specifically, right? But like Earl Thomas is actually making less money than Cam Chancellor. Uh, but Cam Chancellor has a total contract value of 36 mil, average per year is 12 mil. But what's the important part here? The total guaranteed, which is 13 mil, percentage guaranteed is only about 36 percent. So if you're looking at you know what what Eric Reed would get, you're looking at you know Cam Chancellor. You know, you've got Tyron Matthew, but that's—I mean—that guy can play all over the place. Yeah, so that's that's, 62 that's mil. I think when you're looking down to like, I'll
1: put it this like put Eric, it more generally, are you ready to pay him as a top five safety?
0: Yeah, like or even or even I would say top seven, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That puts him at Devin McCourty money, and that's about nine and a half million a year. But man. more of it was guaranteed. Twenty-two fucking million. Belichick,
1: man, how's he getting Devin McCourty as the seven? Because of the Belichick is fucking Belichick. Deep. Yeah, um, I, honestly,
0: I think that if if I were to see a contract come down for Eric Reed, given the cap space that we have and the defense that we're going to play, and that and that total contract value was like 42 mil and there were 18 mil guaranteed, I'd be okay with that.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately I would be I would be okay with it. Um because I, and I think it it really is more the transition to this scheme. And I, I think that he can be, I don't, I don't know that he's going to, you know, I, I think it's still definitely a stretch to say that he's going to be like have a cam chancellor level impact. Right. I, I just don't, I think that's a little unreasonable. Um, but I, but I think he can be like a very impactful player, uh, in this defense. He can do a lot of different things again, not only in, in the run game, but you know, he can, he's going to be in position on, on certain plays where he can bump out and play, Guys in the slot he can follow tight ends into the slot and play coverage and he's really good in those areas um and so yeah i, I think i would especially considering the contracts that we always find a way to make those contracts like yeah pretty team friendly so uh so yeah i think fun, that's probably fun
0: fun fact i it, i would actually be fine with giving him exactly cam chancellor money because that's a deal and a half but uh eric reed's current total guaranteed money because of his rookie deal 14 million
1: yeah. Those fifth year options are fully guaranteed. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. Yeah. His, his, uh, deal this year is
0: yeah, pretty legit. Yeah. But okay. So we get to the last arrow up player and that's going to be one Mr. Lorenzo Jerome, not to be confused with <laughs> Jerome Lorenzo, <laughs> who's some guy selling hubcaps down the street on the corner. <laughs> but Lorenzo Jerome has an 86.5 coverage grade, which tops the team. He's allowed only one reception, which was limited to three yards. And he's got a PBU, a pass breakup. So he has played well. I mean, he's started, played pretty much a whole game against Denver. Yeah,
1: they don't have a lot of other options in no, free safety currently. <laughs> no,
0: they don't. Vinny Sinceri is a special teams player. <laughs> let's be real. Let's be real.
1: He's a not on your roster player. Let's With be a real.
0: name like Vinny Sinceri, he is either playing special teams or delivering your pizza. Like those are the two options.
1: I'd prefer the latter. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: and so th- this is someone who's gotten a lot of pub recently. He could be the first player in the NFL from St. Francis college since like the Eisenhower administration. That's not even hyperbole. I'm pretty sure it's like Eisenhower or something like that. Uh, I think Matt Barris tweeted it out earlier. So I'm going to have to double check, oh, man, but he's played, he's played decent. I-, I do think he's taken some poor angles and he's been helped out by, uh, by you know, just not not having to do uh, too much. But is this a situation where you're comfortable with, you know, going back to the previous discussion, if Jimmy Ward is out for an extended period of time, if he's out for week three of the preseason, how comfortable are you with Lorenzo Jerome starting week one as
1: that middle free safety? I mean, not very. Uh, I, I think I've... And, and it's hard in preseason, I mean, especially, you know, to judge a safety that spends... Uh, nearly all of his time outside of the broadcast picture um it's hard to to make you know i think a, a a reasonable judgment on his play so far um so it's it's tough i mean i think he's probably done enough to to make me feel fairly comfortable um with him as kind of like a backup option right i think he's done enough to like earn a roster spot and and be a backup safety um but no, I mean, I, I again, going back to sample like two preseason games for a guy that was undrafted isn't enough to make me all of a sudden feel like I'm going to be super comfortable him starting in week one. Right. Like that is not an ideal situation at all. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I think there I think you could see if Jimmy Ward gets hurt uh, or like re aggravates uh, something and misses any any sort of regular. Don't let him action, warm up again. Right. Don't no more conditioning tests. Damn it. Um, or we
0: can just send him to Houston, where apparently you get no injuries. Bruce Ellington,
1: right, man. Bruce Ellington is arrow up. Lorenzo Jerome was going to be the last arrow up guy. Bruce Ellington is <laughs> the last arrow up guy because, god damn it, man! Like as soon as he leaves, he goes and I tears know. things up in his first game. I know. Uh, I, I hope that dude sticks, and, and just I hope has he a does too. Year. I hope he does too,
0: and I hope he beats out with Deshaun Watson because. Yeah. My wife is a Houston Texans fan, and I, you know, I like I like watching good football, and I like Deshaun Watson, and I like the Houston Texans just as a team in general. I like JJ Watt. I like what I like what's happening. Clowny, they got a lot of clowning. The defense is stupid. Uh, I like I like Houston, and as long as they don't do something stupid like trot out Tom Savage for eight games, I think it'll be (laughs) all right. But um, but so here's here's I guess my my real question with Lorenzo Jerome is: Let's say that the hype is real. Let's say the Jerome hype train is real. And, and that he's not going to sustain, you know, an 85 coverage grade over the course of the year, but he is, uh, let's say he is just, you know, an average middle-of-the-field free safety as an, un, as an undrafted free agent. Do you move Jimmy Ward back to corner, or do you keep Jimmy Ward at safety when he's fully recovered, and then Jerome just sits on the bench?
1: Um, I'm not moving Jimmy Ward back to, to corner. I think this is really what it comes down to, is uh, to me... The improvement from Jerome to Ward at free safety uh, based on, you know, what we know right now. And again, it's a lot of projection, but my expectation is that that gap is larger than any improvement um, from one of the current cornerbacks to Jimmy Ward at cornerback on the outside, especially Um, I, I feel like the cornerbacks, you know, with the, the new scheme, especially changes things a little bit. And I think the guys that they have in there, you know, when you, when you talk about Robinson, Uh, Dante Johnson and Kella Witherspoon on the outside. And then even Quan Williams, I think uh, can be a pretty solid option in the slot. I think Williams is going to be sneaky good. Yeah, I just, I feel comfortable with those guys. Again, they're young and they're inexperienced a little bit and they're going to have some growing pains, but I would rather see that unit stick uh, at corner and and get a chance to kind of grow and progress and develop uh, and, and keep Jimmy Ward at free safety. Like, I think that's his best position. I think, I mean, that was what he played in college, right? That was more of his role it was the move to corner that was the transition coming to the NFL, right? like this is the first time he's done it as an NFL player, sure, and, and that's uh, there's something to be said for that, but but he has played like it isn't completely foreign to him, uh, and he was very, very good in that role. I mean, our uh, friend of the podcast, you know PFF's uh, Jordan Plocker thought that he Jimmy Ward was the best uh, middle of the field free safety in that draft class,
0: and this is the man that brought us Matt Breida.
1: Yeah, yeah so and, and so he's got some um, Yeah, I I just think that that's uh, all. That's very very premature. It's, this is like uh, getting at what's the I already forgot it's Katie Cannon right or the Baylor receiver? What's his name? Oh Katie? yeah, I'm pretty
0: sure it was Katie Cannon. Yeah. Is that
1: right? I mean, it's it's it, it's cut. a little like that. Like let's not get too ahead of ourselves here. I think my um,
0: my exact note before we moved arrow down. My exact note on this point was uh, three letters long, and it was L O L. <laughs> <'cause> yep I, <laughs> that's uh
1: that can confirm
0: <laughs> yep can confirm so let's talk about arrow down then and arrow down first up is going to be on the offensive line that's going to be gary gilliam um first reason he gets arrow down is just because who the hell puts two r's in gary right like is like that's gary his name is gary it's G- a bullshit move gary gilliam gary that's that's what it would be that's that that's how i'm going to pronounce it from now on gary gilliam <laughs> i'm gonna just laugh every double time. double l's yeah. double r's <laughs> Uh, but he frequently whiffs on blocks. He is someone who is a backup right tackle. Sure was brought in to compete with Trent Brown. Isn't really pushing Trent Brown in the slightest, I don't think. And it's not like Trent Brown is non-pushable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in pass protection, maybe, but not in the run game. I mean,
1: I probably couldn't push him. Like, and you probably couldn't push him. The but...
0: funny thing is, is that Gary Gilliam, if we cut him, which we might, but if we do is going to get signed by Seattle again and is going to immediately start on their offensive line.
1: Probably because they just lost their left tackle.
0: Yeah. Like he, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's hilarious, but you, we should have known this knowing that a Seattle offensive lineman was coming to San Francisco. We should have known he was not going to be very good.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not like, that's not the line that you're looking to and saying, <laughs> you know what? I want to, I want to make some I'll improvements guys. Let's grab guys from Seattle. Like, you don't even know if the guy that you were getting has played offensive line for very long. They're just like throwing anybody at offensive line in Seattle, yeah, right? Part like, of their
0: requirement is you needed to be a running back most recently,
1: and now <laughs> you can play yeah.
0: offensive line.
1: Um yeah, I mean, not surprising that he's arrowed down. I don't know that there's a whole lot else to say. I mean, no, he's just my, not my, my good, question.
0: My question here is, you know, the the swing tackle job is the job that's up for grabs. Oh god, and, it's ugly. And this, and this is and this is because of the way rosters work, you usually have an interior backup. And ideally, that interior backup can play center and uh, guard because of just the number of people you have active on game day. This is why Magnuson was getting snaps at center, because if he's going to make the active roster, he's got to be able to play guard spots and the center role. But then the swing tackle has to be able to play left or right. And the question I've got for you is John Theus or Gary Gilliam, John Theus being the most recent fifth round draft pick yeah like and, like
1: I mean, do I have to pick one like I told
0: you Sophie's choice, nobody wins, but this, you've gotta
1: do it. This is such a terrible, terrible decision to have to make. I mean they have uh just no good tackles uh on on uh after the after the top two right like after they have no good backup tackles um I don't know, man, I guess. I don't care. Like, I don't honestly like it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Like it's so terrible. If Trent Brown or Joe Staley get hurt, like it's just so over.
0: What's funny is that this is where I would use, like, this is where I feel like you did probably with the tank, Carradine and Ronald Blair argument, because I think to myself, John Theus, like he's someone who played left tackle in college. He's played decently for the 49ers this, this preseason, and he could develop into a swing tackle and, but and here's, at the, you've got six
1: of one and one happens in the other. So you take the younger dude. I mean, decent point until you realize that uh, John Theus played in one game last year uh, and had a 26.7 grade in that game, which is I didn't even I've never I don't think I've ever seen a game uh, or any grade actually go sub 30. Um, um, the scale technically goes to zero. But it's like most stop right around forty is like usually your bottom. The, of the 49ers' first year as a franchise was
0: twenty seventeen when they signed Kyle Shanahan. I've got no history previous <laughs> to this year. There's there's nothing. This is a this is an expansion team.
1: Oh sweet. Well, I'm gonna take that random dude's jersey on the wall then. Yeah, that, uh, that, number eight. Yeah, that, that's
0: um, a BYU jersey. I'm a Mormon. I don't know if you knew that. I'm storming yeah, Mormon. My that means nickname. nothing. Um, yep. I'm gonna take that to my office. BYU uh, Steve Young. I will cut you, motherfucker, if you take that guy. Didn't <laughs> Uh, so next arrow down is going to be J.P. Flynn from Montana State. Now, uh, we're sticking with the offensive line. You're getting a theme here. Uh, Flynn, in the pass-blocking efficiency article on PFF, was spoken about glowingly uh, because he's allowed just one pressure in 44 pass-blocking snaps. Has a pass-blocking efficiency of 98.3, which ranks him sixth among guards that have participated in at least 41 passing snaps.
1: So despite his success in the passing game, David...
0: What do you think of J.P. Flynn?
1: I think he went to Montana State, which usually isn't a good um, indication of your ability to play football. No, I don't know. Um, I don't have many thoughts on J.P. JP Flynn other than he just well, hasn't looked very good. Um, I mean, the the pass protection stuff, again, I think that's a, a little bit of a sample size issue where, again, there have been some snaps where he's looked not great, but just for whatever reason, um, it didn't lead to any sort of pressure or he was able to get some help to kind of bail him out or, um, you know, something like that, that kind of, uh, kept it off the stat sheet essentially. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just, I I think when you look at, you know, again, what's, what's he going to be competing for? It's going to be maybe that backup guard job, the, the backup interior job. And I think the disparity between, him and in Magnuson, um, especially in this most recent game, I think was was pretty stark and I just don't really see uh, what he would bring to the table over somebody like that.
0: I think Flynn and Magnuson probably end up on the practice squad just because I don't think the team is gonna cut Beatles with uh, because you remember you've got you've yeah. still got you've still got uh, uh got him fucking blanking on his first round draft pick Josh Garnett there you go Josh Garnett. he's forgettable already um but you've got Josh Garnett so i think Beatles is probably going to end up taking that that backup interior guard spot
1: almost certainly and
0: and so you've got Flynn and Magnuson on the the practice squad Flynn most notably for me is someone that i kept wanting to call PJ Flynn because of PJ Fleck um that's 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 where we're going but i think for me we watched uh, i think we watched the the run game cutups first and it just it was it was bad. If if Trenton Brown is a tale of two uh skill sets, then JP Flynn is I think in that same camp where his pass blocking snaps should have were okay, but man
1: his run blocking was really bad.
0: Really really bad.
1: This offensive lineman, and this is uh I think the the biggest reason why I just uh have not been able to kind of buy into all of the the hype around like how Shanahan improving this offense significantly this year is because I mean, the starters that they may trot out aren't that great and like even if they're they're decent right, even if you get a, a solid season out of Kilgore, uh even if Trent Brown, you know, is is a little bit better and and Josh Garnett takes a step forward, like it's still we're talking about a they they were starting from a very low point. So even if they get a little bit better, like they're still not great. Like they need big steps from these guys and if you get one injury, like if Joe Staley goes down, um like Good Lord, it is it is going to be lights out for those quarterbacks. So
0: what you're trying to say is that they started from the bottom, now they, eh? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, I didn't know that I wanted to say that, but yeah, now that you mention it, that's exactly what I was trying to I say. I want to end the
0: podcast now so bad. Done. Like, that's, we got nothing else. Yeah. No, the last arrow <laughs> down is going to be Tim Hightower. He had 15 snaps, which was the second highest of most running backs, but had one of the lowest grades based on pro football focus. I... Kyle Shanahan today on his presser was talking about how you typically keep three running backs, and he meant like tailbacks, halfbacks, not a fullback. And I, if that's the case, which has been his average whenever he's been the offensive coordinator at Houston, in Cleveland, and with Atlanta, it was been three. I think he kept four tailbacks once out of the I think those five years. Um, so it's possible. I, I do think that that Brita and Hightower are competing for one spot. And if Hightower ends up getting that spot, I just think that's such a terrible decision. Not yeah. not that not that Hightower is necessarily a bad player. Like, I think relative to the people that he would be cut for, I think Hightower is just as good as, you know, as a lot of really good running backs. I think he can produce for some teams in the True. NFL right now. But I just think it's a bad decision overall just because of the upside that someone like Breida brings and the fact that he's so young and the fact that he's such a great athlete. And the fact that he's been able to just dunk on fools in the preseason exactly like you think someone who has a really positive skill set should, I just think it would be a, a huge mistake to keep someone like Hightower over someone like Brita, because I don't think they're gonna be able to sneak him onto a practice squad.
1: Yeah, I think that's the 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 kicker there is like it would just be really surprising to see him make it through waivers and land on the practice yeah, squad, I right? Just and don't so see it. um and, and I think when you look at the the situation with this team, right, like if it were Uh, a team that was pushing for playoff contention, right? This is like, uh, even if this is like Seattle, right? Or, you know, some sort of contender. Um, Yeah, I think maybe at that point, it makes a little bit more sense to keep the veteran player on the roster. Um, You need somebody that's maybe a little bit more uh, reliable, like doesn't he's got a a higher floor, essentially, right? Like you kind of know what you're getting out of him a little bit more. Um, I think for this 49ers team, I mean, they're not doing anything this year. Like they're not competing for a playoff spot. Um, it, it It's not it doesn't make sense to keep the veteran over the promising young player uh, in this situation. I think, uh, yeah, so far this preseason breed has just kind of, um, you know, done about as as much as we could have asked from him. Um, and I think he's very much earned one of those top spots. I think, yeah, it, you got to go with Hyde and the two young guys um, and, and just kind of see how that plays out.
0: I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on the Twitters. That's going to be at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, it's going to be at Newman NFL. Indeed. Uh, yeah, we're going to, we've got a, a full recap of like an actual Sunday game against the Vikings. This is going to be like the closest thing to real football we have until real football.
1: Yeah, because uh. we're probably not actually yeah we're not gonna talk about the fourth game almost at all like we might have no. a little bit in there if there's something no. interesting happens but um, almost certainly after so two weeks from now uh, is gonna be kind of our big season preview episode and uh, diving into everything for the regular season so yeah uh, it'll yeah, be this like is the last one yeah like,
0: it'll be really like predictions for the season I think is really gonna be what uh, what the week after yeah. next is gonna be all about so um, definitely thanks for tuning in if you liked what you listened to or even if you didn't I don't care. Leave us a five-star review anyway. Uh, anywhere you find your podcast, Google Play, iTunes, all of the usuals. You can find us on Stitcher. Basically, if you know how to use the internet, you can find us. Just basically look us to.
1: up in the Google machine.
0: That's exactly right. Uh, you can always read uh, fantastic articles on Niners Nation, so definitely hit up that area of the internets. We'll be back with you next week. And as always, go Niners.